dearly beloved, the members of the Babysitter's Club, but especially Christy Thomas, would like to request your presence at the marriage of Christy's mom and Watson, who, if we're being honest, we are still not totally sure we like. Listeners, let's talk about Christy's big day. This was the sixth installment in Anne M. Martin's Babysitter's Club series, and it just so happens to be the author's favorite one. In it, Christy's life is turning upside down as she prepares for her mom's wedding and for a move across town into Watson's mansion. The wedding itself is pretty fun, but she's not looking forward to living far from her friends and their babysitting clients. Speaking of babysitting clients, the girls take on a serious gig when they agree to watch 14, yes, 14, children in the days leading up to the wedding. As always, they handle themselves with admirable professionalism, while I'm over here wondering if this was really such a good idea. In the end, Christy's mom and Watson get their happily ever after, and Christy is feeling hopeful about the future of her newly blended family. On this episode, my guests and I chat quite a bit about Anne M. Martin's language around blended families and divorce. We talk about Christy's status as a queer icon, the gendered stereotypes we see in this book and in the series as a whole, and class dynamics. We stress about the absurd circumstances of planning this wedding, demand better pay for the babysitters, and marvel at their entrepreneurial abilities. You will hear me rave about the BSC adaptation on Netflix. This was recorded before we found out that it's being canceled after two seasons, but I am still a fangirl. Netflix, why are you doing this to us? One of the coolest things about this episode, though, is that my guest is brand new to the Babysitter's Club books. You're going to love hearing about how she experiences it with fresh eyes. I am so excited to welcome Allison Cochran to the podcast. Allison is a high school English teacher living outside Portland, Oregon. When she's not reading and writing queer love stories, you can find her torturing teenagers with Shakespeare, crafting perfect travel itineraries, hate-watching reality dating shows, and searching for the best happy hour nachos. You can find her on Instagram and Twitter at Allison Cochran or at her website, www.allisoncochran.com. Allison's debut novel, The Charm Offensive, is available wherever books are sold, and as far as I can tell, has been all over Bookstagram since it was published in September 2021. And here is some extra fun news. The SWR Shit We Read Patreon Book Club is reading The Charm Offensive in April. We will start our month-long conversation about it later this week, and we would love to have you join us for ongoing conversation in the Patreon feed, as well as a live Google Hangout on April 26th. As an SSR patron, you also get access to SSR's Discord channel, monthly newsletters, reading recap videos, bonus episodes, exclusive behind-the-scenes voice notes, and so much more. Plus, you'll know that you're playing an active role in keeping the pod going while connecting with so many amazing readers and new friends. Get all the details and sign up at www.patreon.com slash ssrpodcast or go to www.ssrpodcast.com and click support at the top of the page. I am endlessly grateful for all of the support I've received from this Patreon family and I can't wait to keep growing it. Get to know SSR better on social media. Find the show at SSRPod on Instagram and Twitter and on Facebook by searching the SSR Podcast or the SSR Podcast community. One of the best things you can do to show your love for the podcast is to share about it on social media. Take a screenshot of this episode and share it to your platform of choice. Let me know what you're doing while you're listening and be sure to tag me so I can see. Thanks in advance for helping me spread the word. 
Leaving a rating or review of the show on your favorite podcast player also goes a long way. If you enjoy listening to audiobooks, you need to check out Libro.fm. Libro.fm is an audiobook marketplace and listening platform that offers an alternative to shopping with giant companies. It's true. Now, when you listen to the books on your TBR, you can actually support independent bookstores. The audiobooks you get will sound and cost the same as the ones you buy from the big guys. SSR listeners can get a discount on their first audiobook purchase from Libro.fm. Go to Libro.fm, that's L-I-B-R-O dot F-M, and use code SSR podcast when prompted on the site to get a two-month audiobook membership for the price of just one month. Are you ready to go to a wedding along with the BSC? Let's go to the show. Welcome to the SSR podcast. You may recognize SSR as an elementary school era abbreviation for silent sustained reading, but if you don't, that's okay. What it stands for here is Shit She Read. Each week, we'll crack the binding on an old school read written for kids or teens and talk about it from a kind of grown-up perspective. We'll obsess over heartthrobs, relive the frustrations of middle school, and say an occasional WTF to a beloved author. If we haven't met yet, I'm your host, Ali Hafkosik, freelance writer, lifelong bookworm, and lover of anything covered in rainbow sprinkles. So find your favorite reading spot and a glass of wine. We're about to revisit some literary throwbacks right here on the SSR Podcast. Hi, Allison. Welcome to SSR. Hi. Thank you so much for having me. I'm thrilled that you're here. I feel like listeners need to know that Allison and I are looking at each other right now through this fancy recording technology and the room in which Allison is sitting and the room in which I, also technically an Allison, am sitting are painted the exact same shade. They're both like this really lovely, if I do say so myself, shade of green. It is lovely. I felt really good when I picked it out as well. They are, it's like a bizarro world, like frame of each other. Yeah, it looks like we're kind of in one continuous room sitting next to each other, which is quite lovely. And we're going to talk Babysitter's Club. And it's always a good day for me when I get to talk a Babysitter's Club because over the last few years, I've become a light expert in Babysitter's Club, although I have nothing on so many real experts out there. So Allison, I want to hear more about why you wanted to go the BSC route today. It's been a couple of months since we made this selection and just like refresh my memory. So honestly, um, I love that you're a Babysitter's Club expert because I am a total novice. This is the only Babysitter's Club book I have ever read in my entire life. I'm so excited. And so that was a big part of why I chose it. And with the Netflix show coming out fairly recently, it's like entered public conscience again and people are talking about it. And so I was like, you know what? It's time. It is time for me to make up for this childhood experience that I missed. Well, I'm thrilled to be on the journey with you. Yeah, I'm so excited. Was there a reason that you didn't pick Babysitter's Club books up when you were a kid? And I guess I should say, like, I was not a major Babysitter's Club fan when I was a kid. Like, a lot of these things I've stumbled into in my life as a podcaster. So I read Babysitter's Club because those books were there and I read everything in my school library and there were just, like, so many of them. But I didn't have, like... I don't think I had any sort of like emotional connection to the books. There are people who have that, but I am curious like why it just never kind of stumbled into your path. Yeah, I never read The Babysitter's Club because I actually just did not read as a child. One, I really couldn't read. I was pretty like developmentally delayed in my comprehension skills. 
And then I also just hated it as a kid. And so I came to reading much later in my adolescence, um, I think, than a lot of bookish people. And so I didn't read Babysitter's Club because I just, I couldn't. And I think we had several of them in my house because I can remember like picking them up and like having really good intentions of reading them. But I did not have the attention span for that as a child. Well, it's never too late. It's yeah. never too late. And now I've got it. Check, check it off the bucket list. Um, <laughs> I'm sure it was as riveting as you might have imagined. So Allison told me that she wanted to read a Babysitter's Club book and you said, what book we should we read? And I selected, for better or for worse, I'm not sure how I feel about it yet. The sixth book in the series, which is called Christie's Big Day. It was published in 1987, a year after the whole series kicked off. And there were a few reasons that I chose this title. So the first is that I adored the Netflix adaptation. I do think you should check it out. It's just like a really fun kind of sweet show um, for like a rainy day. And they adapted Christie's Big Day into an episode of the show. So it kind of got special treatment that way. Obviously, not every book has been adapted. So it was top of mind in that way. I also had found a Book Riot article that referenced Christie's Big Day as the first of the author's top 21 Babysitter's Club books, a definitive, objective, unbiased guide. And according to that list, this is on here because it's one of the first books where the BSC babysit a lot of children. And those ones are always fun and really highlight one of the best things about the BSC, how good they are with children. I also like the focus on Christie's family because her family, her mom in particular, is fantastic. And the final reason, and perhaps the most important, I think, is that Christie's Big Day is actually Anne M. Martin's favorite of the Babysitter's Club books. Oh my gosh, I had no idea. I know, it's pretty exciting. She has been quoted saying this. It was one of, obviously, like the first batch of books that she wrote. Eventually, a lot of them were outsourced to ghostwriters, but she presided over the first chunk of them. This book is also really interesting because... Fun fact, Allison, I don't know if you know this, but <laughs> the Babysitter's Club series does rotate narrators. So each of the babysitters kind of like leads the charge in every book. You can tell based on the title, it's pretty straightforward. And Christie's Big Day is the first second round, uh, if that makes sense. So the first book is called Christie's Great Idea or Christie's Big Idea. I can never remember. And then there are a series of books from the other babysitters. And then book six is the first time we get back to Christy. So in that way, it's also kind of historic. Awesome. I didn't know that because I did not know anything about the Babysitter's Club. And I had this inclination that maybe I should like do research after reading the book and coming to this podcast. But then I kind of decided, well, since I am one of the only people I feel like who knows literally nothing about this series, I'll just come at it with totally fresh eyes. And so I figured they had multiple narrators as I was reading. I started to kind of pick up on, on that structure that they switched, but yeah. They do in fact, and I can see that you have the cool new cover. I have the old school cover. I'm kind of jealous. Yours is like a cute little trim size too. Okay, but I really like the original. You're holding up the original cover and that does like that triggers nostalgia for me, yeah. even though I didn't read the books. Like it's still, there is this kind of gut feeling I have seeing the OG Babysitter Club books. I mean, there's just something, there's something about holding one in your hands, I have to say. So you didn't know anything about the babysitters. This is what I like. I couldn't wait to find out like how much of their sort of just presence in the zeitgeist had had made its way to you, if anything at all. So as a kid, I was aware, like, 
I had friends who read the books. I mean, like they were really popular and this book came out like the year I was born. And so in terms of like that kind of the, the 10 years after that, I think they really had a place of like dominance in kid lit. And so all my friends read them and I knew what the premise was because I remember wanting to have my own babysitter's club, like really distinctly. I thought that was just like a genius plan. I thought like as a nine-year-old, people would totally trust me with their children. It's foolproof. It's yeah, foolproof, I was like, this really. is great. Yeah. I tried to get all my friends on board, but I, I didn't know anything about the actual babysitter's club aside from the fact that it was like a group of friends who babysat children and made money. And I was like, that seems like a great scheme to make money. I'm an <laughs> what oldest... could possibly go wrong? Yeah, like, I'm, a, I'm the oldest sibling. I take care of my younger siblings all the time. Like, I got this. And so I thought that was genius. But that's it. Except I, and again, I didn't look this up, but I'm sure as an expert, you know, there was a movie of the Babysitter's Club in the 90s, right? And it had like Rachel Lee Cook in it. Yeah. So Rachel Lee Cook is Marianne. Okay. And she's adorable. Uh, it came out in 1995. I remember going to see it with my babysitter, which is pretty adorable. I love that. Yeah. And I watched it probably two years ago for a bonus episode of the podcast. And it was so fun. Like it was just straight 90s, like straight to my veins. And it was sweet. And like largely, I think not problematic. That's the thing about the Babysitter's Club. Like so many of the books that I come back to for the podcast are just drenched in problematic stuff at this point. And with the Babysitter's Club, it happens so rarely. Like these books are so simple and straightforward. The language that they use sometimes feels dated. And I think that there's there's a traditionalism to the way that they often talk about gender and relationships that's pretty dated. But there is very little, like, I, I don't take offense with a lot in these books. And I didn't take a lot of offense with the movie, although I just love what they've done with the Netflix adaptation, really bringing these girls to a more modern vibe, giving us modern technology. I think that's the most hilarious thing about reading these books in 2022 is that you can just picture girls this age in 2022, like how they would be running their business with an iPhone. Mm -hmm. It's totally different. Like think of the reach they could have with a little social media. And that's what you get a little bit more of on Netflix. I mean, yeah, I've heard great things about the show and I have wanted to watch it, but I did not get to it before the filming of this podcast. Well, you'll have to let me know if you watch it. Um, I will tell you that like, there's not much to do in terms of legwork ahead of time. All of the books follow a very similar format. Listeners, here's a little refresher for those of you who don't remember this. So in the first chapter of every Babysitter's Club book, we meet the narrator. We kind of get situated in the narrator's world. We find out what they're up to. These girls are perpetually in seventh grade, always, they never get older. <laughs> in this book, they are finishing their seventh grade year and going on summer vacation. I can assure you that they will be going back to seventh grade after <laughs> after summer and they will just do it all over again, which I mean, if we call be so lucky. In the second chapter of every book, said narrator attends a babysitter's club meeting, which is always at Claudia's house because obviously she has a landline. So like who else would host the meetings? And in that second chapter, we always get that same rundown of here are the babysitters, here's what they look like, here are their like two to three personality quirks and attributes. And then we're kind of off and running into the rest of the book. There are always like some episodic babysitting scenes because we always have to be babysitting as babysitters. And then the narrator is usually experiencing some kind of like interpersonal or family drama. And so 
that is explored uh, parallel with the babysitting adventures. I am dying to know, Allison, now that I know that this is your first experience firsthand reading a Babysitter's Club book, what were your thoughts on these babysitters? Did you relate to one of them more than the others? I always have to ask when we talk about any Babysitter's Club book, it's like you have to find out what Sex in the City character somebody is. <laughs> you have to find out what Hogwarts house. Like you, you just have to find out. We're all sorting ourselves. So which babysitter do you relate to the most? Okay. So, I mean, with limited experience, yeah, I obviously connected with Christy in the sense like, so one of the things I liked about this book, and I know I would have really loved as a kid if I had read it, is that it was about a main character with divorced parents. Mm. Because like, yes, that's very prevalent now. And we see that represented a lot in the media. But like my parents got divorced when I was nine. And it was not something people talked about back in like 1995. And so it was not as common for you know, for young me to see like blended families represented um, and to see that really normalized. And so I liked that Christy was going through the process of having her mom get remarried because I did that as an eighth grader, not a seventh grader. Technicalities. Yeah. Close. A small Close. detail. Um, yeah. I feel like Christy like definitely seems to be a little bit too much of a leader for me. I would have been the the quiet one. And so is that is that Stacy? Close, Marianne. Marianne. It's okay. It's all right. We're learning. It's okay. So I think I probably like I'm a more of a mix between those two. But here's the question I have. And again, I chose to not Google this beforehand. But because it has re-entered, like, yeah, the the pop culture like zeitgeist recently, there's been a lot of talk because I am gay that like Christy is this sort of like queer icon. And so as I was reading this, I was kind of like looking for that subtext and being like, ooh, like, where am I going to see that? And so I was a little bit, I think, surprised in reading this book coming into it because that's been something people have been talking about, especially since the Netflix show, that I did not get those vibes from Christy as a character. And maybe it's because in this book, it's about a wedding. And so she spends the whole book being like, you know, like participating in very like gendered activities of like the dress and the shoes. So I just have to know more. I have to know more about queer icon Christy Thomas. Well, Christy Thomas is indeed a queer icon. Um, from everything that I've read and everything that I've experienced and some of the other conversations I've had, listeners, I don't remember the episode number, but I'll make sure to link it in the show notes, the episode that I did with the authors of an essay collection that I'm obsessed with, which is called We Are the Babysitter's Club. In that episode, we talk about an installment called Logan Likes Mary Ann, and there's a lot of conversation in that episode about Christy and about the way Christy is sort of absorbing the introduction of boyfriends into her friend group and how as an adult, you can read that with a much different eye than like when you're a kid, you read that and you're like, oh, she's grossed out. Like she just doesn't want to date. But when you come to it as an adult, it's very clear that she is uncomfortable with the idea of being that close to a boy. And it is fascinating to reread these books as an adult. The interesting thing about Christy's big day is that Christy is very unchristy like in this book. And, and I don't think I'm the only one who felt that way. I found a few other reviews and like blog posts to that effect. The biggest thing is that Christy never wears dresses ever. And I got that vibe a little bit. It seemed like there, this was like an aberration in like Christy's typical um, attire. I mean, on the back of my book, she's sporting this like really cute backwards baseball cap. Right which is her normal look. And I, you know, of course, at the risk of being reductive, 
But I do think that in the 80s and the 90s, when Anne M. Martin was writing these books, she chose Christie's fashion sense as perhaps an easy marker of Christie's sexuality that she was not prepared to write about on the page at the time. Um, and so the fact that Christie wears a dress and seems excited about a dress, like she's not reluctant in this book at all. Like she can't wait to wear the dress. And there's a lot of conversation about what color the dress is going to be. And the shoes, she's even excited to wear heels as a bridesmaid. So that's very unchristie like And I think what bums me out a little bit about this book is that we don't get to see Christy playing to her strengths as much as we usually do. Like the best moments of Christy in this book, I think, are the moments when they're getting down to business of putting this babysitting adventure together. They're going to be babysitting 14 children for a full week, which is insane. Oh, and that's something that I would, it's like a nightmare. I would never sign up for this and oh I'm an God. adult. Never. But my favorite moments with Christy in this book, and I think there's such a conversation to be had about like the way that this kind of story inspires entrepreneurship in young girls, especially and in young readers more broadly. That's when I love to see Christy is when she's really like handling shit and she's the boss. <laughs> in a lot of other books, we also see her like she's a really great athlete. And again, like I think sometimes these things become very reductive. And so I, I want to be careful about that. But Anna M. Martin, I do think, was really careful to make Christy different in a few very obvious ways that set her apart from the rest of the babysitters. And while in 2022, we can look at those markers and be like, well, that feels like we're sort of underdeveloping the character. It's obvious throughout the series that that's kind of what Anna Martin was getting at. And we don't get to see Christy doing any of those things in this book. One of the essays in that collection that I was talking about, We Are the Babysitters Club, talks about how babysitting is in itself a very gendered activity because it plays into this very like heteronormative idea of what a woman is supposed to do and how a girl or a woman should in quotes have these maternal instincts and want to be around babies and children all the time and that's the version of christy that we see in this book we see her playing this very particular part of wanting to be around children and being very like nurturing and we don't get to see her other sides as much and so I do feel like you didn't get Christie's full you didn't get the full Christie experience here yeah and I mean as like as a lesbian who as like a kid I would have been psyched to wear this dress I would have yeah. loved wearing heels I would have wanted someone to do my hair fancy I was terrible at sports I loved babies right like I can relate to all of that and like you kind of talked about this more stereotypical depiction of like what you know especially for young women queerness looks like i i think that's really cool i was just surprised because again i was coming into it and i was like okay i know nothing but i have heard rumblings that christy is this this queer icon and so i think i was reading it expecting more or to see more of that subtext like on the page i think you you kind of mentioned that she later has experiences where we get this hint of her being uncomfortable with the idea of being close to a boy. And we do, like, there's the the spring fling or the final fling. Yes, the dance. Book. Yes, which as a romance writer, the fact that, like, that whole dance happened in, like, one sentence, I was like, no, the tragedy. What are the decorations show us, like? Show us What's the like, theme? Yeah, I was like, <laughs> just like no angst. We just have to <laughs> dance. And so, I mean, I like respect that it was so low stress for them as middle school girls to go yeah. to the final fling. But there was a little bit, right, where she's like, she goes with Alan Gray, but she's kind of like, oh, he was annoying. Like, whatever. Like, I guess it was fine. He could be like, okay, some of the time. And so you see, like, there is totally a lack of romantic interest in 
this boy that she goes to the dance with. And so that that does make sense as kind of a crucial part of her character. But yeah, it was just funny going into it, of course, like a little bit with that expectation. Yeah, and it is so interesting how that conversation has become so much more mainstream thanks to the Netflix documentary. And I think at this point, Anna Martin has been like pretty open about how that was her intention all along. But it is interesting because like Christy does get a boyfriend later in the series. Like she has a boyfriend named Bart. They bond over, I think they coach softball or t-ball. Like she has a team called Christy's Crushers and he has a team called Bart's Bashers. And they bond over babysitting and sports. But her relationship with Bart is always at more of a distance than the relationship that we see between Marianne and Logan, who are like sort of the favorite couple of the Babysitter's Club universe. Um, and there are other like relationships that kind of come in and out. And I think Bart is pretty consistent, but it always has like more of a friend zone vibe. So every time I come across a new Babysitter's Club title, reading it with that lens is really interesting. And I, I was sad that we didn't get to see Christy like not only expressing those parts of her personality that I think so many of us have noted now as like queer coding, but we also just didn't get to see her like doing Christy things as much as she does in other books. Although I did enjoy the moments that we had with her again, like being the total boss of the babysitter's club. I think the one thing that was sort of true to form was the other babysitters were like kind of confused that Christy was excited to wear a dress. Like you see Claudia and Stacy who are like the fashion girls mm -hmm. being like, oh, you're excited about this. And they're excited to be excited with her because that's not an experience that they usually have. But I also kept having to remind myself that this is only book six in the series. And there's still so much more development to go. I mean, there are, I think, 231 total books in this universe. And so I can't even imagine like how far you have to get into the series before you have like a fully fleshed out picture of these characters. Yeah. And that's, I mean, like I, my book has that list at the back and I was just marveling yeah. at the, the list of like babysitter club books and it's like impressive and wild. And I think too, I mean, knowing that of course there's going to be a lot more character development though, I did think that like for a kid lit book, like the characters are well developed, right? Like you do have, even though maybe it's like, like you said before, they have their two to three defining personality traits. Like they still, um, I feel like, live very consistently on the page, like with those personality traits. And so I enjoyed meeting Christy. I would read more about Christy. Christy's fun. I'm a Christy. I was a Marianne when I was a kid. And I've become, I would say, like a Marianne Christy hybrid. It's like an introvert extrovert thing. Like mm -hmm. an you know, and when I'm an extrovert, I feel like I'm Christy and I'm very rarely an extrovert. When I'm trying really hard, I'm a Christy. In my core, I think I'm probably a Marianne, but it is fun to spend time with them. But I want to get back to something that you mentioned earlier, which was this depiction of a blended family and of divorce, because that's something that resonated with me. My parents got divorced when I was two um, and my family started blending when I was five. That's when my parents remarried and then I had step-siblings and ultimately half-siblings. And so I was always really drawn in the 90s to books with families that looked like mine or looked as different to other families as mine felt at that time. And I do think that I felt lucky because in the 90s, divorce was like such a hot topic that like I was hitting that pop culture consumption age at the perfect time to be like the target audience for a lot of these new stories about divorce and blended families. But I read about the Watson Brewers with such a new appreciation as an adult because I think when I read these books as kids it was like okay great like Christie's parents are divorced like mine cool cool 
But reading a book like this, which really does focus on the dynamics of Christie's changing life and of her new family, like I am really impressed by the way Anna Martin handled that and by the complexity that she sort of gives kids access to through these characters. Yeah, I think I was really surprised too because, and again, I, you know, for me as a kid, it felt like I lived in a community where, yes, I knew other kids who had divorced parents and blended families, but like there was still a lot of shame around it. And a lot of like, I don't know, I, so many of my friends like had parents who were still married. And so it was a weird time in like the mid nineties to kind of like talk about my parents' divorce. And my parents had like a pretty like difficult divorce. And I, I kind of expected I don't know. I think maybe as I started reading it, I expected it not to be handled like very realistically, but I felt like for such a short book that really it was not the main focus, like Christy dealing with, you know, her mom getting remarried was yeah, like a big part of her like internal struggle, but we had this whole plot about the 14 kids, right? And that took up like most of the story. Yeah. And so I thought for how little page time it really had, I was I was pretty impressed. And like the end was pretty pretty freaking cute. The like yeah. Yeah. And so just her like making the, the, is it a drawing? It's like a family tree. The family tree that she draws, right? Yeah. yeah. With Claudia's help because Claudia is the artsy one. Of course, obviously. of course. Yes. <laughs> and so I thought that was, I thought that was pretty cute. And I, I feel like as a, as a kid, I would have, I would have connected with that. Yeah. It's interesting when I think about my experience as a child of divorce in the nineties, it definitely was not, I wasn't the only one. But I think that I main charactered it pretty hard when I was a kid, which is also just like a function of being little and not knowing how to express yourself. I was so young when my parents got divorced that like I didn't know any other way really, but I also didn't have the language to talk about it, I think, because all of a sudden I was having friends and going to playdates and seeing that their houses were different than mine. And so I think I pretty early on like kind of internalized it as like this thing that was like only mine to carry. <laughs> and I do think that now, hopefully, like the conversation has opened up. And while it's still, of course, like a really hard thing to deal with, maybe if you're a child of divorce, you don't have to main character quite so hard, because it's just not, you see the stories out there. Um, but Christie's story at the time was really unique. And at the beginning of this book, Christy is getting ready for her mom to marry Watson. And we have gotten to know Watson already in this series. Um, although he, of course, becomes a bigger presence now because they're going to be moving in together as a family. As an adult, of course, like I have to call out first the hilarity of the fact that like they could not move in together before the parents were married. And so initially the wedding was planned out for like several months out. And then a series of events that I, I truly lost track of were like Christie's mom's job was going to send her to Europe. And then there were these other obligations. And the only solution, everyone, the only solution was to get married in a week. That was it. You can't, there's no other way to get married because they sell the house. And so in order for all of these things to come together so that these people can get married in the correct for them way, they have to get married in a week because only once they're married, can they move out of the house that they have sold move into Watson's mansion and like move on with their lives. And I recognize that people have different feelings about living together before they get married. But in this day and age, having been somebody who lived with their now husband before they got married and ha and just being surrounded by people who did the same and continue to do the same, just the lengths that this poor woman 
1987 had to go to to make it okay for her to marry this man. They both have children. Like these are grown ass people. It just seemed like a lot of hassle to me. Ellie, when I tell you I had horrible anxiety sweats the whole time I was reading the beginning of the book. <laughs> reading it that just this weekend I was like keeping it fresh sit on the couch and I had to like turn to my girlfriend like several times and be like oh my gosh they are now within two and a half weeks planning a wedding and moving out of a house and like the mom was like working for part of that and there were like children everywhere I'm like I can't this is too much I was I was so stressed literally half of my comments are just I have anxiety for Christy's mom like I couldn't handle it and then the thought of all of these children coming to town, I was just like, no. As a childless adult, like, no, I can't. This is, I'm so stressed. I mean, things just escalated really quickly. All of a sudden, they're getting married. Christy is like mourning the loss of her life. And she is afraid to move and to not live close to her friends anymore. And she has a lot of concerns about like what her new world is going to look like. There's some interesting class stuff going on where and, and you really see it even more in the show, I think, because Alicia Silverstone in the role of Christie's mom is this kind of like really tough working woman who like has a lot of pride in being a single mom. And as an adult watching the show, I really appreciated like the journey that she was on to sort of reconcile the fact that she was marrying this really wealthy man. And what does that say about her? What does that look like? We obviously don't get that as much in the book, but Christie's family, they're like, they come from modest means. They're all well taken care of. I think they have everything they need, probably a lot of things that they want. But Watson and his kids are like truly loaded. Like they have everything and more. And Christie is trying to figure out like how her situation is going to change. Like what is she allowed to ask for in this new version of her life? And these are questions that I, I don't know a lot of other kids authors were putting on the page at that time or even ever like I don't know that I've ever read another book for kids where a child is contemplating matters of like how their new blended family is going to join their finances and what will be okay for them to ask for and like she's talking to her mom about that like who's going to pay for college like if we want a new tv who buys a new tv those are big questions yeah I mean big questions and also like I, yeah, they made a lot of sense to me as she was navigating the blending of the family. And of course, like I knew nothing. So I was like, oh man, Watson, he's like a millionaire. And there's like yeah. wings of this house. I was just like, oh my goodness. But then to kind of see her navigate what seemed kind of like an outlandish situation, right? In a children's book, her mom is like marrying this millionaire, but it was like really grounded in her trying to figure out like, I think it's that conversation she has with her brother, right? Where she's like, yes. oh, allowed to ask him about this. Right. What if I want this? What if I just need like $2 for something? Is that okay to ask for as she kind of figures out what that's going to look like? And I thought that was really interesting. The other interesting thing about that conversation with her older brother was his opportunity to kind of like tell her to chill because she's starting to freak out. Like she's nervous. Everything's changing. She doesn't want to leave her friend. She, she thought she was going to have a whole summer with the babysitters around the corner. And now the rug is kind of being pulled out from under her and she's moving. And that is really scary when you're a kid. Christy does not handle change well, which I can relate to. And her brother is like, look, I get that you're freaked out, but also let's take a second to recognize how much mom and Watson are doing to make this feel okay to us kids. Mm -hmm. 
And the child of divorce in me was like kind of mad about that because I was like, don't tell me that this is easy. Like, don't <laughs> tell me to be grateful. Like, this is the worst thing that's ever happened. I'm never gonna like this will always follow me around because it it is a hard thing to navigate at every stage of your life. But I do like that her older brother lays it out for her and is like, okay, yes, this is weird, but let's recognize that they have decided to pay this extra fee so that you don't have to change schools. Like they really are doing everything they can to make this easy. But I did have like some mixed feelings about that. I feel like my adult self and my child self were at war in my body. Yeah, that's fair. I think one of the things that really brought up for me was how like that fear of losing your friends when you move because friendships are so proximity based as a kid and especially in the 90s right like they weren't going to be texting they weren't going to be like facetiming or snapchatting right when they moved apart like they would have landlines to call each other on they would see each other at school that was something i really connected with right that didn't feel dramatic to me as like a kid it was like yeah that is so scary and hard when all of your friends are in like one concentrated place and like the geography is actually what makes you friend, right? Like that is where the friendship kind of originated from. And so I felt uh, really connected with Christy in that. I was like, yeah, girl, like your reaction is very justified in this, in the situation because that's yeah, kind of traumatizing. She's also running a business. Somehow I honestly like, the amount of work that they do in this book, I was like, as a 35 year old, I would have had to like go lay down under a weighted blanket. Like I cannot imagine how they do this. Right, and now she's gonna have to run this business from the other side of town. And so much of babysitting is about having access to these children. So how is she going to A, get to meetings, B, get to babysitting jobs. Her parents are not only ruining her social life, but ruining her professional endeavors. And so I do understand her frustration. They've had to raise the dues for the babysitter's club because she's going to have to start paying her brother to drive her to meetings. Like this has ramifications for everyone. Yeah. And honestly, like that was the other part I think that that surprised me too. And I kept trying to think back to my my 12 year old self, right? They're 12 in this book. Mm -hmm. And just figure out like, oh my gosh, these kids are impressive. Am I misremembering my 12 year old self? Like, could I have stepped up and like done this? And I think that was something I thought about a lot. Again, because like adult me is like 14 kids. Oh, heck no, techno. Like I am not doing that. I like could never, even with four other people. And for only a thousand dollars, quite frankly, I was like, that is not sufficient pay. I know that there is like a you know, time has passed, but I just felt like they were really not being fairly compensated for the work that they were doing. I agree with you. I did find one blog post that accounted for inflation and sort of broke down how much that would have worked out to in our modern times. And it's still not that much. According to this blogger, Today, the fee would be $1,300 for the week or $260 a piece, which is still not that much. And another blog that I found broke down the hourly rate for the girls in this book. So in the world of 1987 and in the world of this book, these girls were making like $3 an hour. Yeah. I mean, and I can kind of remember that being the norm with babysitting when we were kids. I feel like as a child... I feel like it was like five, five dollars an hour. Yeah. It, like I can remember that it being a lot less than it is like what right. you can pay someone today. 
right? Like that today, $1,300 to do that work is outrageous yeah, and makes no sense because there were 14 children doing full-time childcare. And so I think there is like a, there was like a cultural difference that happened or like a shift around how we view the way that you compensate babysitters. But still for the amount of work and like they were doing so much planning. I think it was one thing if like they just rolled in and were like, all right, we're going to like make this work 14 kids, whatevs. But no, they like, they were so diligent in how they planned the time for those children and like put them in groups and planned their activities. And so I was just like, girls, you got to get you got to get paid. Like that is, that's not enough. Yeah. I mean, they were like taking these children places. They were being given like big responsibilities. They had to dress them for the rehearsal dinner. They had to take all the little boys for haircuts. This is a lot of responsibility. There's so much responsibility. I, I'm not qualified for it. Certainly. So that's how I felt too. And I was, again, I was like, oh my gosh, I, I would have buckled under the pressure. Yeah, it's too much. So let's talk about the circumstances, the somewhat ridiculous circumstances <laughs> that bring us to the point where these five 12 year olds are in charge of 14 children for a week. Again, this has all escalated quite quickly with the rescheduling of the wedding. And suddenly all of these family members are coming to town for the week. And I'll link all the blog posts that I found uh, in the show notes as usual. But there was one blog post in particular that was like just this long rant about like how absurd it is that all of these adults managed to take a full week off of their jobs, did not arrange for childcare for their collective 14 children, and, and just kind of like knew how to help Christy's mom and Watson plan a wedding because that's what's happening. Christy is like, Christy's mom is like, okay, here's the deal. Um, my relatives and Watson's relatives are going to be here, right? And they're going to just like put this wedding together for us. And I have a few questions about this. First of all, <laughs> how did they get this time off from work? Second of all, if Watson is so loaded, were wedding planners not a thing in 1987? They definitely were, right? Like there ha they had to be. Like there had to have been another solution. I just don't understand how they were delegating all of these wedding tasks to these four, these six, eight, I don't even know how many adults there were. All of these adults that just showed up and, and they now know how to put together a wedding in a week. It just seems unreasonable. I think it was so unreasonable. And I was like outraged for them, like on a deeply, like if a friend had done that to me or a family member, it was like, walk away from your life for a week, not for something like dire or like tragic, right? But like to plan my wedding oh my goodness, no, that would be the end of, of that relationship. But also I think what shocked me too is it felt like such a, they were so dedicated to this concept of the wedding. You know what I mean? Like they had to plan a wedding in two weeks and it's like, okay, well, you know, like it's your second wedding. Like maybe you just like do a smaller wedding. Like maybe if you have to have it happen at this time, like it's not a big production where it seemed like, just a lot of guests. It seemed like a real big to do. And so I think that was the other thing that I got kind of hung up on was that like the questioning of like, why, why are we doing this? Like, why are we all like making ourselves sick to like make this wedding happen in two and a half weeks under already ridiculous circumstances as to why that had to be. But it just seems like they were so, I don't know, as an adult, as a kid, I would have been like, of course, you have to have a wedding and it has to have like 300 people and it has to have like all the right hors d'oeuvres and like everything has to be perfect. But as an adult, it was hard for me to be like, why y'all? Like, why are you doing this? This is wild. But Allison, Christy <laughs> is like, it's fine, guys. 
I'm out of school now. Literally all that I have time to do, all that I can just, I have all this time. I can babysit all the time. And you know what? I'm just going to get my friends to do the same thing. We're going to cancel our other jobs. They clear the schedule. They call their other clients and they say, we don't want your money right now. We <laughs> have other urgent matters. And I love, I like, I love when the girls jump into action like this. I love the organization of it. I love the strategizing. I love the like, okay, let's make a list of the 14 kids. Let's break it down. Let's figure out how to group these children into ages. Let's delegate each age group to a different babysitter. Let's have them all have like different group themes and group names and group colors. And let's make corresponding name tags. And let's like the color coding and the scheduling of lunch and the like categorization of medicines, like it is overwhelming, but the hyper-organized adult in me just, I love it. And I remember <laughs> loving these details when I was a kid. There's a similar storyline, I think in the 1995 movie where they run like a summer camp. A summer camp, right? Yes. Yeah. And there's like a similar vibe where it's like, we're going to get super organized. We have this under control. We're going to run this like a tight ship. We are business women. And I remember being really attracted to that as a kid. Like I was never super into babysitting, but I, I remember reading these books and being like, I could totally run a day camp. Like, and I spent a lot of time alone as a kid and like just playing pretend. And like, I would just like make up lists of pretend kids and be like, let's pretend that these are my campers and we'll group them into different groups. And here are the activities that we'll do. And here's the schedule. Like I do think that these details of the babysitters club like really influenced me and potentially uh, helped him become the hyper-organized individual that I am today. Yeah. Well, and I think it goes back to what you're saying about them as like these like entrepreneurial role models, right? Yeah. But like, it is really cool to watch these like young girls be like, all right. And then they're in like problem solving mode and like, they just like attack the whole situation. But as an adult, I kept getting so hung up on like, why are we letting 12 year olds administer medications for babies? Like it doesn't seem quite right. But okay, I'll suspend my, I'll let that go. But yeah, and I think too, there's also that millennial adult in me that says like, these kids should be having fun in their summer vacation. They should be just like working the whole time. And so I think that also crept in there as they were like making their wedding plans. But yeah, the wedding itself, outrageous. The way that they stepped up to take care of those 14 kids, like stupendous. Yeah. Well, and I, I think what you said about like, the part of you that just wants them to have fun on their summer vacation, like that kind of goes back to what we were talking about before about the gendered nature of babysitting. It's this idea that like, oh, as a 12 year old girl, of course you would love nothing more than to spend time with children. And as I always say, as so many people always say, like if you are a 12 year old girl or a 12 year old anyone and you love spending time with children, go spend time with children. Just like if, like the point is to have choice at every stage of your life. And I think, I do think that if there was perhaps a downside to these books for kids growing up in the eighties and nineties for girl readers in particular, it was this like feeling that that's an expectation that like, Oh, I should enjoy this. Like it's not necessarily about the entrepreneurship all the time. It's about like having this deep need to care for children all the time. And I do think that that comes very naturally to a lot of, 
children of all genders. And that's amazing. That wasn't always my experience um, myself. So I do think I remember reading this sometimes and being like, oh, like, why don't I want to do this? Like, why isn't this something that I want to do? And it's not fun for everybody. To your point, Allison, like not every kid is going to find this to be a fun way to spend the first week of their summer break. Yeah, that is just... But I think too, I mean, one thing that that was kind of nice in looking at the gender dynamics is that at least her brothers, they're always working as well, right? Yeah. And it's like in some kind of different sphere of like working at, oh, I forget where her brother works. Is it like a burger place? Yeah, or, I think so. Yeah. And so like we see that they're also work. It's not like they get to like play video games all summer. And, you know, these girls are like doing all of this like emotional and like literal labor. And so at least there is that kind of, everybody is working hard. And, and like you mentioned with Christie's family being more working class, that makes sense. But yeah, it definitely feeds into this. Well, yes, they're getting paid and that part's great, but also right. just do it anyway. Like they would just do it because it is something that they feel that they should do. And Christie's already always babysitting, right? Mm-hmm. It's like there's these little, Karen, by the way, honestly was the MV. I loved Karen. Are we and Jen. Okay. I wasn't sure. I was like, am I wrong? Because Karen is just the best. I love all of Karen's conspiracy theories. You're all about the ghosts and the Martians. Karen spoke to me. Yeah. Karen's a real treat. When we watched the show, my husband was like obsessed with Karen. Okay. Well, now that's it. I'm watching the show for sure. Yeah. You have to watch the show. Yeah. You'll love Karen in the show. And I think like not that I would expect you to keep reading Babysitter's Club books, but if you were to read more of them, what you would find is that like these girls would be babysitting no matter what. Like they just take every opportunity. Like they are just always babysitting. And so I do think maybe that could be confusing to some young readers. But let's talk quickly before we start to wrap up about a couple of the antics that take place with these kids. Yes. Karen is a great segue. Karen is just, she is a conspiracy theorist. She has a lot of theories and she needs to share them with the world. Uh, I think my favorite incident in the book is when she gets them kicked out of the playground for talking about aliens. I think it's great because like what I loved about Karen is that like, honestly, her, you know, like her conspiracy theories were just like normal kid things. Right. Believing in ghosts and aliens. Like, yeah, honestly, I hope she's six. Right. Yeah. I hope you believe in those. You're six. Like that is so cute. And like, of course, you have this like big imagination. So I loved that about Karen. I thought she was just like keeping it real. And yeah, when they were like, don't talk about Martians, don't tell people. They're, I was like, ah, do what the, who cares? Like, go for it, Karen. Spread your truth. It's all good. Let them be young. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I don't think I have ever encountered a story of anybody getting kicked out of a playground before, but Karen Brewer is a real trailblazer and she manages to get this whole group of kids kicked out because she is just causing so many problems with her alien stories. She's scaring all the younger kids. The other, I would say, like really notable moment, and and there are a bunch, I'm curious if, if any stand out for you, but they stage a wedding sort of in place of like putting on a talent show, they decide that they're going to put on a wedding. There's always like a rainy day activity that has to happen in these books. And that's when their babysitters really have to like get creative with an indoor activity. And they decide that they're going to put on a wedding to sort of familiarize the kids with what to expect at the big wedding, which of course we're leading up to throughout the whole book. Karen plays the bride, obviously, and David Michael plays the groom. I thought that their vows were really funny. They promised like to teach each other how to ride a two-wheeler and not to hog the TV. And then like the kids in the audience 
like are like if you have kids like don't make them have a bedtime and at the same time like the idea of these like small children putting on a wedding while i know it's a real thing and i'm sure i did it when i was a kid too when i think about that as an adult like there's something about it that kind of weirds me out yeah i felt the exact same way where i was like oh i definitely did this as a kid yeah like did this this is accurate like this is just part of being a kid at this time and also i'm weirded out by it and and I, I don't know. I think it also, again, because the whole book was like predicated on this like wedding industrial complex of like, yeah. we must have this massive wedding. Everybody stop their lives and help us plan this massive wedding. And then it was like the kid, I don't know, the kids like enacting that as well. I was a little bit like, <gasps> but they were cute. Yeah, they were cute. Karen got into it. I'm happy if Karen's happy. Were there any other like, especially memorable kid moments for you, Allison? It was all just, again, and I, I think I read, like I tried, I tried to stay in the moment, but I kept getting so stressed about these 12 year olds having to take kids places. Like the haircuts thing stressed yeah. me out. I was just like, no, don't, don't make them do that. What's happening? Like there are so many logistics here. I just don't understand. And then like the, the movie, right? So, oh my gosh, who takes them to the movie? Is it Stacy? Yes. I really liked the handwriting that they did for Stacy in my book. Right. And so I thought that was like super cute. But I just kept thinking like, oh my gosh, like I am so stressed for you. I take my nieces places and it's stressful again for me as an adult because they wild. Like, so I, the whole time I was just like, I kept thinking about it from an adult lens and just getting so worked up. Yeah, I mean, just the sheer quantity of names. Like I at first was trying to keep track of the kids. Like I was making notes in the margins of like, okay, like Emma is this age and she's like, this is how she is. And then there's Luke. And I was trying to like view them all as distinct characters. But before long, I was like, this is just a mass of children and I'm not going to learn their names and I'm not going to figure out like what all their behavior is. I'm just trying to keep track of them along with the babysitters. So it just felt chaotic even to read their names. Yeah. And for me, because I was meeting the babysitter, like I knew their names again. Yeah. This the series is ubiquitous enough that like I probably if I had been forced to name the babysitters, I could have done it before I started reading this. But for me, like keeping track of their names and like the, you know, characters like Karen and David, Mi David Michael and the, you know, like that was already too much. But I kept thinking about it from a writer perspective and being like, oh, my gosh, how did she write this book? How like what kind of flow chart did she have going to keep track of all these children and all these names? Like, how did she take this really complex situation and distill it down to this like 150 page book for children? I, I was impressed because that seemed like an organizational nightmare. Yeah, it's a neat and tidy little package in the end. She crams a lot in there, um, which I do always appreciate. So overall, Allison, this is a big moment for you. I okay. mean, your first Babysitter's Club book. And I just cannot wait to hear, like, <laughs> did it meet your expectations? Was it different than what you thought it would be? What did you think about the whole thing? <sighs> I mean, like, it was both exactly what I expected and also nothing like what I expected it to be. And again, because... Like I, it's been a long time. I had to read some Kitlet when I was in grad school, but I don't regularly read books for this age group. And I also, because of my own experiences with reading, like I didn't read a lot of books like this as a kid. And so it was so different in terms of, like a lot of the things we already talked about too. Like a lot of the topics I did not expect to be dealt with in the book. And then like when they were introduced, I kind of expected to be a little bit like, 
salty about it. And then um, found that I, I really liked the way that she talked about like divorce and the stress that comes with like a blended family and doing that in a way that did not, especially for 1987, like felt like it was celebrating a, a blended family as opposed to like presenting a, a negative or like critical outlook on that experience. And so all of that I really liked. And then like, it did. I was surprised it took them so long to start babysitting in the book. <laughs> I was like, oh, what's going to happen? Like, when are they? I had like read the back and then like promptly forgot what it said on the back. And so I was like, when are they going to start? Like, she's kind of babysitting Karen, but like, what's happening? And so I was surprised by that. And then like all the, de like, all the details about babysitting felt very like somehow that was ingrained in my soul. I had never read a babysitter's club book, but I like I don't know if it was watching that Rachel Lee Cook movie as a kid or what, but I like felt that I like knew all my friends had talked about these books. Like that part felt like something I had read before. Yeah. So I really liked it. I do think that part of it feels very wholesome. Like it's like, Oh, like I'm a kid and I'm like, it feels like you're on summer break and you're running around and doing activities and getting fresh air and like just this sort of version of childhood that feels very distant now. Um, even though I wasn't a babysitter, like I still connected with that feeling that they have when they're hanging out with these kids. So I'm glad that you enjoyed it. I'm thrilled that I was part of this with you. And I thank you for- oh, no, Thank you so much. I'm so sorry that I came to it so ignorant, but I also thought, you know, probably you have a lot of people who are more familiar with the books. And so offering my know nothing perspective. Yeah, I kind of loved it actually. It made me feel like such a subject matter expert, which doesn't happen that often. I was really impressed every time. And then you were like pulling up quotes from blog posts. I was like, oh my gosh, like this woman knows. She knows. I'm a Christie. I'm a Christie. Yeah, I felt that. I felt Thank that. Thank you. Thank you. That means a lot to me. Other than Babysitter's Club number six, Christie's Big Day. Also, one moment. It is not really Christie's Big Day. It is her mother and her future stepfather's Big Day. But <laughs> anyway, other than Christie's Big Day, Allison, what have you been reading lately that you would recommend to our listeners? Oh my gosh. Well, I read vastly different things um, than the Babysitter's Club. Same. Um, as especially a, a queer romance writer, I mostly read queer romance. Um, a, one of my favorite books that I've read in the past year came out just yesterday as we're talking about this. Um, and it's called Delilah Green Doesn't Care um, by Ashley Herring Blake. And it is just like, um, if you like romance, I think it is just such an amazing romance novel. Um, and I really enjoyed that one. I'm also really looking forward to one of my favorite books that I read last year um, comes out in May and it's called Never Been Kissed by Timothy Janowski. And I'm really excited for people to read that. And I just was like starting to read. He also has a Christmas book coming out. And so that is what I am partially reading right now. I'm also listening to the audiobook of A Brush With Love by Maisie Eddings. Um, which is a romance. And then I also was just reading, um, and I'm so sorry, I mostly read things that are not out yet, but Circling Back to You by Julie Chu, um, which is also a rom-com that I enjoyed immensely. Well, lots of things to pre-order and get excited Always about. Always pre-order yeah. things. Get ready. And then it's like a surprise when it shows up at your house. I will include links to those books on bookshop.org in the show notes for this episode, everybody. So go check them out. And Allison, we have to take a moment to talk about your work. The Charm Offensive, I swear, is taking over the world. <laughs> it is everywhere. I I love to see that cover. It makes me so happy. Tell us about your book. Like, tell us about the journey to writing it. Because like I said, it's taking over the world. Oh my gosh. Um, well, so if you don't know, my book, The Charm Offensive, is my debut novel. And it's like in its most distilled form, like 
gay bachelor. And so it's about a like socially awkward, like tech genius who goes on a reality dating show in an attempt to like publicly revitalize his reputation. And that is like a very misguided move because he is terrible at being the star of a reality dating show. Uh, and in the process of, of filming the show ends up falling in love with his producer uh, instead of one of the contestants. And my process for writing the show, honestly, like I am a longtime suffering fan of the Bachelor franchise. Um, yeah, like I just, I always kind of keep coming back to it. Can't seem to. It's tough right now. It is really hard right now. So I'm not watching this current season with Clay for you. I like, I needed a break after our like nonstop content for a year. And Clayton just like, I'm sure he is a perfectly nice man, but he like, wasn't bringing anything to the table for me. So I sat this one out, but I, yeah, it kind of just started as me wondering, like, what would happen if someone like me went on The Bachelor, right? And like, someone like me would never go on The Bachelor, like, one, I'm gay, like, two, you know, I like have all these mental health things that are really just like very exploited in the world of reality television. But I kept like coming back, I was like, but what if, like, what if someone like me went on the show? And then the main character of my book, Charlie, was kind of just born from, yeah, from that question of what would happen. Well, I am also a long-suffering fan of The Bachelor and like all reality TV. So I love reading about reality TV. And I've been so excited to tell you that we actually picked the Charm Offensive for our April Patreon Shit We Read book club. Oh my gosh. Um, yeah. So as this Thank is airing you. in just a few days, we're going to be kicking off a whole month of conversation about the Charm Offensive. Um, listeners, if you want to be part of that, if you've read the book, if you still want to read the book, come on over and join us on Patreon. I post discussion questions like three to four times a week, and then we'll have a big like live meeting on Google Hangouts at the end of April. And it just worked out so perfectly that I was that I was going to have the chance to talk to you. And I have been saving up the Charm Offensive because I knew we were going to be reading it for the book club. And I cannot wait to read it because it is so up my alley. And just congratulations oh, on the success you. of it because it has been everywhere. Yeah, it's been really fun to, yeah, to connect with readers about the book. So it's definitely been a wild experience so far, but I'm really excited that y'all are reading it. So thank you. Yeah, it's going to be fun. Well, this was fun. Thank you so much for taking the time to chat with me and to read with me. This was just like a great way to spend an hour. So thank you for your time. Thank you. And thank you for introducing me to the Babysitter's Club. It's my small gift to humanity. Yeah, I love it. When I watch the show, I will think of you. Yes, you have to let me know what you think about it. Sounds great. Thank you. Yeah, take care. SSR is part of the Frolic Podcast Network. Find more podcasts you'll love at frolic.media slash podcasts. Thanks so much for listening to the SSR Podcast. Check out our website at www.ssrpodcast.com for show notes and other information. And be sure to connect with us on social media for updates on upcoming episodes, behind the scenes inside scoop, and some good old fashioned book talk. Find us at SSR Pod on Instagram and Twitter and search SSR Podcast on Facebook to join the group. To reach out directly, you can send me an email at hellossrpod at gmail.com. If you're loving the show, it would mean so much if you could subscribe, leave a five-star review, and share your thoughts with a comment. And don't forget to tell your friends, too. In the meantime, happy reading. I'll see you next time on the SSR Podcast. <laughs>